life where they're starting to notice things. Sometimes, especially my son, can still be uh, oblivious to, to the world that is around them, but every once in a while they pick up on something. And it's generally a rather inopportune time when they pick up on something, and sometimes it's really hard whenever they pick up on something because they start asking, what's that? Most of you who are parents have had those conversations, and, and you know exactly what it is, but you don't know how to tell your children what it is. And you wonder, what, are, what is the right way to explain what it is? And one of those things that I know we've had a few recent conversations about is abortion. You hear people talk about it all the time, and they talk about it on the news, and political, political things, and, and we, we see uh, things going down the road, uh, advertisements uh, for and against. Uh, on the radio, I listen to a lot of American Family Radio, and they'll, they'll talk about abortion quite a bit. So when your child asks you, what's abortion? That's a good way to answer that. I'm just saying I don't think there is a very good way to answer that. It's something I wish I didn't have to answer. But it's something that we must answer. It's something that whether we acknowledge it or not is a pretty significant and powerful force within our society. Now the proverb writer said in Proverbs 6 that there are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife amongst brothers. But tonight I want us to focus in on just one of those, those hands that shed innocent blood. It's not new to our society, but... It's something that our society has embraced in many ways with both arms. And it's something which many times, in my own personal opinion, I feel like as a church we have shied away from, content to know that things are wrong, content to, to say, well, if someone were to ask me, I would say that, 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 that that's not a good thing. But we just don't want to talk about those things. And I understand why. I was getting ready, uh, looking over my notes this evening about 4.30, and Shelley said, well, smile. I was looking at sermon notes on abortion. No smiles. It's, it's, it's a terrible thing. It's an ugly thing. But it's a very real thing. I guess if you wanted to get a definition of what abortion was, uh, the spontaneous or induced termination of a pregnancy after accompanied by resulting in or closely followed by the death of the embryo or of the fetus. Abortion is the death of a child in the womb at some point between the conception of that child and the delivery of that child. Some of the things that we're going to talk about have implications even far-reaching with that, as, you, as maybe you have heard and maybe you have read of people who have argued for even termination outside of the womb. I pray that our society does not go there, but it would not shock me if our society went there. That's what abortion is. And in our country, in our country there are over, over 102 million abortions every year. 102 million. 
That's a lot of babies that are killed. It's a lot of children who are murdered. Children, most of whom are just as viable as these sweet little babies that I see out in the audience, out in the audience this evening. There are lots of different methods of abortion, and, and you can you can look up some of these. There's a part of me that wants to give a description of what each one of these things are, but there's a part of me that really doesn't. But basically, they take that child in the womb, and through some means, sometimes they take an instrument and dismember that child. Sometimes they take chemicals and burn that and burn that child. Sometimes they suck out that child's brain. But whatever happens, they kill that child. They terminate that life. And if there's an inclination in your mind tonight that abortion is not a terrible thing, I would encourage you to look up some of these definitions. Just Google what is abortion. And if you're still not convinced, and by the way, if you, if you are convinced that abortion is a terrible thing, I would not encourage this next step. Click on images. Click on images. If you want something that's upsetting, if you want something that will give you nightmares, if you want something that, that puts to shame any Hollywood production of what a horror movie would look like, look at the pictures of abortion. Look at the pictures of those little bodies. And that's what they are. They're, they're just little babies. If that doesn't convince you, I, I don't have much left. I want you to do that for yourself. Take whatever steps you need to to be convinced that this is a problem within our society. John MacArthur said that as a nation, as a nation, America is highly committed by law and by practice to a form of mass murder. That's what abortion is. It's the murder of innocent children. It is the shedding of innocent blood. One of the most dangerous places within our, within our culture. It is not downtown Memphis. Even though I don't really want to go there on a Friday night. It's not New York City. and it, it, It's not urban St. Louis. It, it's in the womb. That's where people, that's where human beings are losing their life. Defenseless little boys and defenseless little girls are losing their life on a regular basis. And it's all perfectly legal. And not only is it legal, it is protected and defended by our laws and by our culture. That's just the world that we live in. In some ways, I don't have the answers to address this. Because it seems so painfully obvious. It's not right. It's not right. And it's time that we have some dialogue about these things. And it's time that we have some conversations about these things. But I guess really all of the arguments come, come back to this question of when exactly does life begin? Right? I mean, all of the arguments center around, is this really life? Is this really a human being? Because mo most of the time, whenever we talk about the subject of abortion, we like to frame it in terms of well, some one person is pro-choice or one person is pro-life. Uh, I don't think it's a very good way uh, on the whole to, to, to define the subject. Let's just talk about life. Is that life in the womb? Ladies, a lot of you have been pregnant. I never have been. Is it life in your womb? Was there a child in your womb? Whether it was on... Week one or week 
35? Was it life? I think every mother would say, yeah, it was life. My mother would say, it was life. Many of us have had children who were born premature, weeks and months before what a, what a normal child would be, in a time period where, where many people terminate their pregnancies on a very regular basis. But yet our children were delivered and they grew to be healthy, normal children. Was it life? Our daughter was born almost two months early. And I can tell you, when she was born, she was very much alive. When does life begin? Well, if you look up in, in, in Stedman... If you... I'm sorry, I skipped a, I skipped a slide. If you look up life in Sedman's medical dictionary, it says it centers around vitality, the essential condition of being alive, or the state of existence characterized by active metabolism, the existence of organisms. And from, from, a, from a very technical point of view, life is when this body begins to operate. When, when, your, when your organs and, and your body begins to metabolize at its very earliest forms. When does that happen? Well, that happens when the chromosomes from the mother's egg and the chromosomes from the father's sperm unite. And at the moment that that happens, at the moment that that happens, the embryo begins to actively metabolize and they grow from there. And they grow from there. Dr. Jerome Lagune, who is known as... and I'm sorry for some of you biology teachers if I butchered his name... But the father of modern genetics said that to accept the fact that after fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into being is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. It is a plain experimental evidence. It's just the reality. Science has taught us many things and many of the horrors of our, of our culture and of our society have come from a time when truthfully, we just didn't know any better. We know better. We know when life begins. We know, we know when those reactions begin to happen. Even to, to, to the point that where someone who is not trying to, to argue for, for some religious viewpoint is saying, this is pretty obvious that there is life there. University of Pennsylvania, Dr. Alfred Bongiovanni said, I am no more prepared to say that these early stages represent an incomplete human being than I would be to say that the child prior to the dramatic effects of puberty is not a human being. See, one of the arguments that, that people want to make is that, well, well it's, not really, it's not really an adult. It's not really a life because it's in development. Well, I could say that about any number of children who are sitting in our audience this morning, this evening. I could say that about my own children. And they're growing... They're not, they're not grown. They're not, they haven't matured. They've been growing since the day that they were conceived. And some of that growth has taken place at a very small level, but they're still growing to adulthood, to manhood, to womanhood. Are they alive? Of course, they are alive. The issue of when does life begin from a medical standpoint seems very clear. Maybe from a biblical standpoint, when does life begin? I think it's important for us to understand that conception is an act of God. That whenever a mother and a father come together 
to create a child that God is active in, in that process. We speak of the blessings of God, and I think that's an appropriate way for us to view those things. The psalmist said in Psalm 127, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Genesis 17 and verse 16, I will bless her, speaking of Sarah, I will bless her and indeed I will give you a son by her. Ruth chapter 4 and verse 13, And when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her conception. The Lord is the one who creates life. That's the reason that life can't be created simply, simply by man. We can't do it. We can't create life, not without using the things that God has given to us. Conception is an act of God. Over and over in the Bible, the, the, the Word of God speaks of God opening and closing the wombs of different women. Do we believe that? Do we believe that when God opens that womb, it actually is God that is doing something? And even at times when that womb is closed, and many of you may have struggled with many of those issues, that actually God is playing a role in those things? I'm not saying I understand all of why God does what, what, what He does. What I am saying is that God is doing something. That God is involved in putting life into the womb. In Exodus, in Exodus chapter 21, when, when the law is being given, very clearly... Very clearly it's taught when a child is in the womb, it is alive. The law states that if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, but yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life. If two men get it, get into a brawl and there's a pregnant woman who, who's standing nearby and, and, they, and they fall into her or knock her down or injure her in some way. He says, if nothing happens to that child, then you deal with that like you would any other fight. But if two men get in a fight and they knock into a pregnant woman and she winds up losing that child, that's murder. Why? Because it's life. It's life even in the womb. In Luke, in Luke chapter 1, we have, we have the time when, when Mary and Elizabeth come together, John the baptizer and Jesus. And the Bible says it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, that the baby leaped in her womb. Something was going on there. Not just an it, but a very real individual. John was there even as a child. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, For Thou formed my inward parts. You weaved me in my mother's womb, and I will give thanks to Thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are Thy works, and my soul knows it very well. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in Thy book they were all written. The days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. The reality of an individual before that individual is ever born and ever brought into this world. See, the Bible seems to teach the same thing that science teaches us. It's funny how that works. Since science and the Bible both come from the same God. That life exists in the womb. 
Life exists in the womb, and we need to be aware of that. We hear rhetoric uh, very often about this subject. People talk about the fact that a woman has the right to control her own body. I agree with that. A woman has the right to control her own body, but a woman does not have right a right to murder an, an, another body. A woman has the right to not, to not involve herself in a sexual relationship. A woman has a right to, to allow that child to be adopted, to give up that child. A, a woman has all of those rights. This really isn't about women's rights. This is about protecting that child's rights. I have a lot of rights that I would demand, but when those rights begin to, infer on, to, begin to interfere on in your rights, I don't know that anyone that would argue for that. But yet countless babies, 102 million a year, die. Die every year in our world over a woman's right? What about the child's right? There are many things that we have rights to that are ungodly, that are unholy. We're going to move out of our society, which has in many ways been formed by, by Christianity and by the Word of God. There are many things that have been legal throughout, throughout history and throughout society. I can show you societies where it was legal for a man to have his own boy. You take that to its extreme of what that means. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it holy. It doesn't make it godly. Some people say, well, it's the best solution because of a difficult circumstance or an exigent circumstance. That's why these things have to take place. It's rhetoric. It's rhetoric. Why do most abortions take place within our society? Most people are pretty open about that. I'm going to read through some of these. And I want you to tell me, you, you could just stop me when I, when I give you a reason that is justifiable for taking another life. If this were the case, it would be okay to murder someone else. 21% within the United States happened because of inadequate finances. I just don't have the money to raise a child. Is it okay to murder a child because I don't have the money to raise that child? 21% also take place simply because people say they're not ready for that responsibility. They found themselves in, in, in pregnant at a very early age or in a difficult time of life, and they're just not ready to take that on because a child is a great deal of responsibility, as any new parent would tell you, and they just don't want that. Is it okay to murder a child simply because you're not ready for the responsibility of that child? 16% say that they had an abortion because it would have changed their life too much. Is it okay to murder a child because that child would change your life too much? Are there not some better options that we could pursue? 12% of people that have abortions say that, that, that they have had that abortion because of problems with, with relationships. Maybe it's an unwed, unwed mother. Uh, maybe it's an unwanted pregnancy. Maybe it's a bad... Is, is it okay to murder a child? Is that, is that a good reason to murder a child? 11% take place because someone says that they were just too young and too immature. And I've seen a lot of people who had children, probably looked in the mirror at a guy once who was too young or too immature to have a child. Is that a good reason to murder a child? 8%, 8% of abortions take place. And I was a little bit surprised at this because people simply say, my children are grown. I don't want to have any more children. 
I don't want to have any more children. I don't want to. I have a buddy of mine who talks about restarting the clock and when when his children are going to leave home. That's okay if he doesn't want to have any more children, but is it okay to murder a child simply because you don't want the inconvenience of having a child around the home? 3% of, of abortions have to do with possible health problems. Genetic testing probably will, will, will increase this number in the coming years, but you know, they, they did some tests and they told us that this child it might have some problems. Maybe this child could be autistic. Maybe this child could have Down syndrome. Maybe this, I don't know. Most of you who have gone through childbirth recently have, have had to face some of those things and some of those, some, some of those questions and tests that, that they want to take. Is that, does that make it okay to murder a child? Because their quality of life might not be at, at what, what you think it ought to be? I mean, I, I'm really struggling with, with, with what to say here. Some people talk about rape and incest. Statistically, less than 1% of all abortions. Less than 1% of all abortions take place because of rape or incest. Even at that, I would, I would ask the question, simply because someone does great harm to you or to someone that you love, does that make it okay to murder another, another life? I don't think that it does. It's less than 1% also of abortions that take place because the, because the life of the mother is at risk. Truly a situation where you might have to decide between my life or their life. I might stop there. I might have pause there. I, I, I might not know what the answer is there, but I'm telling you, for the rest of those, if anyone was supposed to honestly say, I decided to end this life because I didn't have the money, or it just wasn't a good time, or I didn't want another child, or I'm too young, or you know, the, 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 the child came from a bad... In which case is it okay to murder another life? That's the world that we live in. Well, people are not shy about those things. This is just acceptable. This is a part of our society. Abortion is not the best solution to a crisis pregnancy. And those things do exist. I know that they do. I've, I've dealt with those things in, in many ways. There are other solutions. There are other ways to deal with these things besides taking a human life. So what do we do? What do we do? I don't want to preach on this for 45 minutes. I, I, want, I, want, to bring this, I want to bring this to a close just because I want us to think about these things. Well, we can pray. We need to pray about these things. Supplication. Pray. Pray for those children. Pray for our nation. Pray for people's hearts. Pray that they will have understanding. Pray that they will have opportunities. Pray that they will understand what abortion really is. We need to have consideration. Consideration for those who are struggling. Most of these things don't happen in a vacuum. They happen in the situations of life. As a church, we need to be there to put our arms around people who find themselves in those very difficult situations that would make them think that and to say, there's a better way. And not only is there a better way, we want to help you with that way. We want to help you. If, if you want to give this child up for adoption, that's, that's fine. But let the child live. As a church, we, we need to do a good job of that, of reaching out, of supporting people, of putting our arm around people. To give consideration. Listen, I'm not preaching this sermon with any any deal of naivety that 
I figure there are some probably some people here who have had an abortion. I understand that. I would pray that you would be on the front lines of helping, of helping people to understand what that is, of helping people to understand the impacts of that. That we would look at that just as, just as, we, just as we would look at any sin that we might have committed, that we, we wish we hadn't committed, but, but that we can't take back, but that we can move forward and we can seek a better path. You can be a mighty tool, a mighty advocate. We need education. We need education. I think as the church, when we begin to look at the reality of what abortion is, the case really makes itself. But we don't look at the case. There's a video, and, and I thought about showing it over in the youth suite tonight, but I just put it on my Facebook. If you want to see it, it draws a parallel between the Holocaust and, and, the, abortion, and the abortion rates in, in our society today. And it's a very powerful video. It's about 30 minutes. I would advise you to watch it. I would advise you to watch it. But don't watch it thinking you're going to have a light television viewing. It's powerful. If you have to, look at the pictures. Look at the pictures of what it is. Look at the pictures of those fetuses, of those little babies that are put in trash bags. That's what abortion really is. We need education about those things. Most of you probably read a few years ago about a regional director for Planned Parenthood whose job was to facilitate abortions. Hundreds of abortions every week that would come, that would come through, through her clinic. Now she's an advocate. She's an advocate for pro-life organizations. You know what changed? You know what, you know what made the, the regional director for Planned Parenthood take a stance and say abortion is murder? 3D ultrasounds. I mean, they're pretty amazing, aren't they? I mean, when our children were born, it's not that long ago, but when our children were born, there was this little black and white thing, and, and I, man, I, I took for... I, the doctor said it was a boy, so I assumed that the doctor knew what, what we were looking at. I didn't know what we were looking at. Those 3D ultrasounds, you see what your child looks like. Right? I mean, it's like you just took a little camera in there, and you can see their face. And they, and they look like a real human being. They're not just a blob of black and white things that only a doctor or a nurse know. It looks like a baby. It looks like a human being. And she began to see those 3D ultrasounds, and she began to see one of those ultrasounds of an abortion in process. And she began to see that child and their body be crumpled up and sucked out of that mother. And she said she walked out that day. I quit. She had a conversion experience that day. What changed? Just information. She didn't realize what it was. She grew grown up all of her life hearing about hearing that this is about women's rights. This is not about women's rights. This is about killing babies. We need to understand that. We need to provide that education. Legislation. Legislation. We need to be active. Listen, when, when we have opportunities to limit these things within our society. If they're never limited, we can still be Christians and we can still take those stands. I understand that. But the more godliness that our society reflects, the better that society will be. We need to take opportunities to vote. We need to take opportunities to, to let our voice be heard. Listen, if you do this, it's in spite of what I want this country to be. It's in spite of what I want this nation to be. Be active in those things. Let, let your voice be heard. 
That's not being political from, from, from the pulpit. I think, I'm just saying, we need to be active. I don't have to be ashamed of that fact. Proclamation. Can we talk about these things some more? And not just in hushed tones. Not just in a way that I might describe these things to my children. But can I have some real open and honest dialogue with our young people? Who might be facing these things not even knowing what it is? Who might be facing these tremendously life-changing decisions thinking that there's this easy way out when it really, it, it's not. It's not an easy way out. It's not a way out at all. It's a way that will go with them for the rest of their life. And many of you could speak to that much more powerfully than I could speak to that. And as a church, as a church of, of Christians, as a church of people made up of body of Christ, we have to speak out. We have to be a light in a world of darkness. And I'm going to tell you, when you think about this subject, it is a dark, dark world in the ways that we have accepted this. We can't do that. We can't do that as individuals. We can't do that as a church. We've got to be a light. I know that there's a lot of baggage that goes with this. I don't, I don't understand what, what goes into every decision or the story that, that, that goes along with, with, with every story that, that comes. I don't know all that. I simply know this. We can't do this. We can't, we can't take those lives. God hates that. God hates it when we shed innocent blood. I don't want to be a part of that. and I don't want you to be a part of it. I don't want my children to be a part of it. I don't want my grandchildren to be a part of it. So many things that, that we could say. But I hope that you will investigate. I hope that you will think about it. I, I hope that you'll talk about these things. Because this is real. And these things are shaping our society. If that's going on and we sit in a corner and we say nothing, what does that say about us? I watched a documentary a year or so ago about the Freedom Riders riding through Mississippi. A group of black men, Thomas. You can probably tell me more about it than, than I know. Black men and women who wanted to ride a bus. Who wanted, who wanted to ride a bus through the South. And some of the terrible, terrible things that people did murderous things that people did, the hateful things, that pe the sinful things that people did, it is shocking. And I saw that some of the leading voices were from many religious groups in our society and how, they, and how they preached. They came and they taught the people, this is not right. Racism is not right. You, you, you do not look at people uh, that have an opposite skin color and do these terrible things just because they happen to have a different skin color than you have. You're not superior in those things. And they really led the way in that movement. As I watched that documentary about the change that took place within our society, and our society has changed dramatically, as I, as I, as I watched that documentary about those who were on the forefront of leading that change, of standing up for principles of godliness, here's the question that kept coming into my mind. I talked to several people and I still haven't got a very good answer. Where were our brethren? Where were we when those atrocities were taking place? And you may have a good answer, but, but I think about that when I think about issues like this. Where are we? 
when millions of children are being murdered, where are we? In a world that is dark, where is the light? Are we content to simply go about our business without even saying a word? And I know that the Gospel goes far beyond racism and it goes far beyond abortion. But friends, if we're not standing up for those who are innocent, I think there's a problem there. I want to be the light. I want to show people who Jesus is. I want to protect the innocent. Because the innocent exist even in the womb. I struggled with how to bring this lesson to a close. I told you I wasn't going to preach too long, and apparently I already have, because I tried to slow my pace a little bit tonight. But do you know one of the amazing things about the abortion rates? All of those babies, they're in heaven. They're in heaven. See, this is not their problem. This is not their problem. The Bible teaches us over and over that when children die, they go to heaven. The Bible says, listen, you need to, be conver- you need to convert and become like the little children. They're innocent, they're pure, they're sinless. Nothing, there's nothing that keeps them from being in eternity with God. So don't, don't weep for those children. You weep for those who would take their life. This is about seeking the will of God. And I would ask you tonight, will you be in heaven with all of those millions of babies? If not, then why not? I want to be as pure and as innocent as those millions of little boys and little girls that I've never met. How can that happen? It can happen through Jesus Christ. I pray that we would consider these things. I pray that you would consider your own innocence as you consider the innocence of these children. I pray that you would consider the blood of Jesus, what it means to have your sins washed away in that watery grave, what it means to to repent from sin and be washed in His blood, what it means to walk in in the light in the midst of a world of darkness. I just pray for this church and I pray for our world that we would follow God. And if you have a need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing? How do you explain?